And let's pray together. Father, thank you very much for the fact that your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. My failures, my, my inabilities, my insecurities, it never runs out on me. Father, I want to ask you today through the Holy Spirit to just continue to seize this place and may it belong to you. I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to hearts today. There's going to be some people who are going to need to be encouraged today. And this certainly, this certainly is a pinnacle of a scripture for encouragement. There's some people there that, that are doubting that you could ever love them after what they did. And uh, this is a pinnacle of a scripture that shows us how that love never fails, never gives up, and never runs out. And then there might be someone here today, as Brother David just prayed, and there might be someone here who's never trusted Christ, and, and they've seen church, and they've seen Christians, and it doesn't seem like anything would be appealing to them. But today, would you show them something that draws like a magnet, and that is your amazing grace and love for people that are imperfect like us. So... We pray, God, that you'll do a great and mighty work in our midst today. And Jesus, I do pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, welcome, and we're glad that you are here today. And we're almost done. We're officially done with February, the love month. But we're going to go one more week into March talking about this amazing topic of God's love. And next week, we're really going to talk about who Dorisville is and, and what drives us, what, what should drive us. And we'll talk about that next week. But today we want to talk about sticky love. About sticky love. A love that never fails, that never gives up, that never runs out on me. Now, I am convinced, I'm, again, I'm, not, I'm past worried about y'all knowing how old I am. I'm 63 years old. And I was raised in that generation that we, hands down, had the best music ever. The 60s and the 70s. Uh, yeah, hello. Yeah, yeah. You know why it's so funny? I know that because a lot of the music today is just remakes of what we did in the 60s and 70s. I mean, you know, it's just great music. And not only that, you know, entertainment was just better. You know, back in those days, you know, you could watch TV without turning, you know, crimson and blushing and, and covering the kids' ears and all those different things. It was just a different era. And even the commercials were different. Even the commercials were different. And there's a commercial that I want to hopefully show you this morning that, that talks about... Something being really sticky. So roll that beautiful bean footage. Are you stuck on being a brand who's being a stuck on me? Are you stuck on being a brand who's being a stuck on me? Was they hold on tight no matter what or fingers toes and knees? Only Band-Aid Brand Plus Antibiotic has antibiotic ointment directly on the pad. It delivers protection against infection in one simple step. Effective, convenient, and from the brand you trust. In that classic, see, it was great to be young in the 70s. It was awesome. It really is. And you know, that's really a perfect introduction to our message today because there are about three things that were said that really are really good theology. You know, you know, I'm stuck on Band-Aids, and Band-Aids are stuck on me. And the little boy at the end says, and Band-Aids help heal me. Well, you know, in a way, God is so much like those Band-Aids. They're, 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 he won. He's stuck on us. And I think we can get an amen. He heals us. 
He heals us. When we are lost and separated from Him without any hope of heaven, man, He heals us spiritually. He gives His Son, Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that He's stuck on me. And He even says this, I'm stuck on bandage, or I'm stuck on Jesus, but Jesus is stuck on me. But here's the great part. Even when I'm not stuck on Jesus, He's still stuck on me. See, see, so much of what we do in life is so fragile. It's so fractured. We know so few things in life that, that really, um, that, that are permanent. So many things. You know, so often marriages end up in trouble. So often relationships between students and parents are broken. Um, there was a time when, you know, when, when things were more permanent in this world. But they're not that way now. It's not that way. And it's hard for us, I think, because of that, to grasp this permanence of God's love. That no matter if I'm stuck on Him, He really is still stuck on me. And again, this scripture in Romans chapter 8 is just incredible. Take your Bibles and look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 29 and, and head down through some verses there. We'll kind of watch the time and see how we do on time and if we need to. And by the way, come back tonight because tonight we're going to address the same topic as this looking at, because someone asked me this question last week at lunch. You know, can you really be eternally saved? Can you really not lose your salvation? And oh my goodness, if there, is a, if there is a doctrine that I believe is so clear in the scripture, it is the eternal security, watch this word, of the true believer. It's the eternal security of the true believer. So let's look at this morning a love, that sticky love, that's stuck on us no matter what. Here we go. Look at verse number 29. It starts out, Paul writing and says, For those he foreknew. What a big word. And again, we don't have time to address all of it. But it implies this foreknowledge of God. And, and here's what I want you to do. There are two amazing truths I want you to get this morning. First off, it's this one. is that this idea of redemption and salvation what didn't start back when Adam and Eve, our, our mom and dad, there in the garden, did their first sin. That didn't, no, no, no. No, it happened long before that. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4... For He chose us, He chose us in Him. Now, again, He didn't choose everybody. He chose the ones in Him. Those who would trust Jesus Christ as Savior. They're the redeemed. There's no such thing as a universal salvation. There's no such as that big, well, if you're, if you're good enough, God will get you in. No, no. He chose us in Him. And He did it, listen to this, to be the image of His Son. How? I'm sorry, I got lost here. Hang on a second. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, before there was a world, before there was a garden, before there were people, before those people chose to sin. Theoretically, I think you'd say this. Before there were stars and before there were galaxies, before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. He could look ahead and see a way that men, could, men and women and children, could be redeemed. 
And that way was not performance. That way was not religion. That way was not being a badness. That way was in Christ. Believing in an old rugged cross, a Savior who would come one day and spill His blood that people like us could come to relationship with God. So I want you to understand, this is a big plan. It didn't happen. Like I say, Christmas didn't start on Christmas, and Easter didn't start on Easter. And guess what? God's wonderful plan of salvation before the foundation of the world was there. Was there. But not only, that, not only that, not only did He foreknow in that sense, He foreknows you. You. It almost, it's not like an acquaintance thing. It's not like he knows the details. It's not like he knew what you might do, Tracy. It's deeper than that. It goes to almost to the level of relationship. He could look forward and know that you would tr- when you would trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Again, in him as you are redeemed in Christ. He knew that. Let's listen to this. This is good. Listen to Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Now, of course, Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, okay? Before I formed you in the womb. In other words, before you were a twinkle in your daddy or mama's eye, Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Now this is incredible. Because I don't think, I don't, I don't think we anywhere would stretch, violate scripture to say that is not only true of Jeremiah, the principle is true for every person here today. That God would say, and look down on, on his children today, on those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I I, before you were born, I set you apart and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. No, we're not called to be prophets in the sense of being a prophet. But what I'm trying to say is that God has formed you and made you for a purpose. Now, again, we're in that time when people are starting to say these words to children and, and students are talking about it to their mom and dad. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with my life? And you and I both know it kind of goes like this. Well, you know, if you do this, then you could have a pretty good life financially. You know, if you did this, you probably could get a job pretty easily. There's always a need uh, for certain jobs. And so you, you perhaps ought to consider that. May I make a suggestion? If you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christ follower... Doesn't it seem logical that maybe, just maybe, if Jeremiah's verse is kind of be our verse, then the word of the Lord came saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you to, a, to be a prophet to the nations. Doesn't it make logical sense that we all involve God somewhere in that decision? I mean, parents, shouldn't we be talking to our kids and saying, So what do you think God wants you to do? And if you're, a, if you're a student and a, certainly a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to be somewhere going, dude, I wonder what God wants me to do. Because here's what I know. God makes us differently. God wires us differently. And I believe he, part of the reason why he does that is because he has a different purpose for people in life. We have one big purpose. We'll talk about that in a moment. But different purposes. There are, there are people who are wired to teach. There are people who are wired, wired to be mercy, uh, medical people, mercy people. There's people who, who are wired to teach others. 
And no matter how it may play out, we're wired differently. And the deter- this is going to go over like a lead balloon. The determining factor of what you do in your life is not how much money you can make. Who cares how much money you make if you wake up and hate your job every day? Who cares? Who cares if you wake up every morning and you say, what purpose is there in this? But I can speak as one, and I know Brent would be another, and Dave would be another, and there's a lot more of us in here who found our calling in life. And life is so rich and so fulfilling, not because of the dollars we make, but because of the purpose that we feel in being fulfilled. I did not ask permission to do this, and I should not do this, but I'm going to anyway. You know, my, my son-in-law, who is my son, is Jonathan. And Jonathan is a plumber. My, my daughter teaches high school English, and he's a plumber. And, and you kind of go, so, well, Dwayne, how does that, how does that work? I mean, you know, well, here's the deal. You can be, have purpose and work whatever you do, whether you be a plumber or whether you be a teacher. Whatever God equips you to do. You can ask Jonathan, from the time he was a very young boy, he wanted to be a plumber. And he found his purpose in that, helping others in that area. Does that make a little bit of sense? But now watch this. I'm going to go a step further. Jonathan's one of the best teachers I know. All you have to do is show up and watch him do All-Star. I've watched him now for years as he loves and dotes on those children, teaching them not only, not only the game of sports, whether it be basketball or soccer, whatever it might be, but he does such an incredible job of pouring into their lives, mentoring them. So it's not the vocation as much as, God, how can, what do you want me to do, what do you want me to do, and how can I do that, not just for making a living, but how can I do that for the furtherance of the kingdom? Does that make sense? Sure. I think it does. So, parents, I'm going to be honest with you. You ought to be telling your kids about what does God want them to do. And, and students, you need to be asking that question of God. This decision is too big to miss. I've seen a lot of folks go through life never finding their niche in life. And I just got a stinking suspicion that if we asked God, he would love to tell us a little bit about that. So, those he foreknew. The, the plan being bigger than Christmas or Easter, it didn't start when sin happened long before the foundation of the world. The plan was made that men would need redemption, and God instituted that plan, and he knows us. And we have an obligation, and it's a purposeful thing. It's a good thing that we ask God, God, how do you want me to fulfill my life? What do you want me to do? Then he goes on and says in the rest part of verse 29, in verse the second part, For those he foreknew, he also predestined them... Here it is. To be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, so, so one day you acknowledge the fact that you are a depraved sinner. Everybody is. Every person is depraved. But, but you came to the conclusion that you are separated from God. You are a depraved sinner. Okay, and you needed a rescue. You needed a redemption. You needed a savior. And through the Holy Spirit, you were called and to, you were pointed out that there was a man named Jesus who died on a Roman cross, that he paid the price for your sin, that he took the wrath of God for your sin. And that you realized that, it, that he was God's way, that you could come into relationship with him, not by a giant scale, but you come to relationship through him by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And you were born again. 
You are born again. What does God have in mind after that? The big purpose of what God has for us is to be conformed to the image of His Son. In a practical way, God is working out our salvation, not working for, working out our salvation and helping us that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. The illustration is old. I've used it too many times, but it's too good to pass up. In my case, it happens to be true. A good friend of mine was a woodcarver. He would take a block of wood and could carve the most beautiful things. I would look at the wood and see a block of wood. Bob Niebuhr would look at it and see something. And I would say, Bob, how do you carve ducks? He loved carved ducks. And you know what he said? You remember? You take a block of wood, you cut off everything that doesn't look like a duck. God's in the process of taking everything that doesn't look like Jesus and cut it off. He wants us to be like his son. He wants us to be like his son in a real and a very practical way. So those he foreknew, he also predestined, he predetermined them to be conformed to the image of his son so that he, capital H, Jesus, would be the firstborn, the highest priority, not like first and, and number one, but the highest priority, that he would have the highest position among many brothers. Now, in verse number 30, this is too good. Too good. Listen to this. And those he predestined or predetermined, he also called... And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, do you see something there that's very unusual? It's all about God. God predestined, God called, God justified, and God glorified. For you type A personalities, I know this is hard and bad, but have you figured out you've got very little to do with it? All you did in this process is believe and trust by faith what Jesus Christ did. Everything else is God. And you know why it's really good news? Because if it's all about God and not about you, that means He's got it. You're not, you're not, you're not trying to be like some person juggling a bunch of balls. If you don't drop too many, you, woo, you get to go to heaven. This thing belongs to God. Those he predetermined, he called. He issues the call to whosoever will. And every person who responds, every person who responds, whosoever will may be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Whoever. And when that whoever person responds to Jesus Christ, believing in what he did, turning from their sin and following Christ, whoever does, then he is justified. This, yeah, that's good. Some of y'all can live out the reality of this, and some of us can't, but here's the deal. You walk into a courtroom, and there, and when you walk into the courtroom, is the prosecuting attorney, and here's your defense lawyer, and there's the judge. And the prosecutor says something like, uh, Your Honor, this is state against so-and-so, and here are the charges against them, and what are those charges might be. Imagine the situation where the judge says this. You are guilty as charged. I have paid the penalty for those charges. All charges have been dropped. You are free to go. 
That's what God did for you. That's what God did for you. Now listen, you've got to get this. To me, the word justified means literally all charges being dropped. You have been, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been declared right with God. You're declared right. And listen, if you've been declared right, there's nothing you can do to make it righter. You're as right, bud, as you're ever going to get. And God did it, not you. And you haven't got to try to stay righter as you go there. Well, i got to stay righter with God. If I go to church, I'll get righter with God. You're already as right as you're ever going to be. Because that's God's amazing, wonderful grace. Declared righteous. Well, Dwayne, what if I mess up? It's not about you. God's got you. You ain't got you. If you had you, you'd be burning in hell. Because you ain't as good as you think you are. On your best day, when you go to church, on your best day, when you write the check, on your best day, when you're right with your wife, on your best day, when you're not mean to your kids, here's the old depraved sinner. You ain't as right as you think you are. It don't depend on you. The one who was right got us right by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, y'all need to take that home. And listen to this. You say, well, can I mess up enough? No, no, look what it says. Those he, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, I'm not an English major, but does anyone notice that's past tense? Anybody knows that's past tense? He glorified. Oh, that's, that's the prophetic perfect tense. And it means this. As if it already happened. You are so secure in the love of Christ that will never let go, never give up, never run out on you. You are so secure in God's love by His Son, not your performance, by His Son, that God sees you as if you're already there. You are glorified as if it's already done. Now, someone shout. Amen. This is good stuff. Because some of you, listen, some of you here today are walking around with a bunch of guilt. You're saying, oh, I, I missed church. Oh, I didn't do this. Or I didn't do that. And you're just waddling in guilt. Guilt. Get over it. Get over it and rest in His amazing grace, His love that never runs out, never gives up, never fails. I'm just good stuff. I'm just telling you. This, this is best. See, some of y'all in that health and wealth stuff. Now, that preacher, that preacher done said, if I just trust Jesus, I'll never get sick and I'll never lose my job. And all oh, we get to drive Cadillacs. Shoot. That pales compared to this. You can have your Cadillacs and your supposed health and your wealth. I'll take God's amazing grace that never lets me go. What good is Cadillacs and health and wealth if God's love ain't got you? Now, I'll take God's love. He, he called us. He justified us. He glorified us. And then in verse 31, he says, So, what then are we to say about these things? Well, if you're, if you're, if you're, the, if you're the Southern African American gospel... Y'all might be shouting, hallelujah. 
Yeah, I, I, I've watched enough black preachers. I mean, I went in Africa. The old preacher started service. Every, Uganda, listen, every time they go, Hallelujah! And the people respond, Amen! Hallelujah! Amen. So, so if you're that, if you're Pentecostal, or if you're that persuasion, ooh, you might want to say hallelujah. Yeah, some of y'all might just want to say amen. You're more, you're more reserved. You're more reserved. And you might want to just say, well, amen. It's probably not a good response, but amen. Amen. Now, if you're the Jewish persuasion, you might want to say, Sila. Oh, John Phillips, I told you so many times, it's ridiculous. Sila, according to John Phillips, means what do you think about that? So y'all just look to your neighbor and say, when you're talking about God's amazing love, and he, in fact, He called us, He justified us, and He's done glorified us as if we're already there, you might look to your neighbor and say, well, see, law, what do you think about that? See, law. Now, this is the best I got, so if you're expecting something more, you ain't going to get it. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. Now, if you're from the southern redneck region, you might want to just cut loose with a, shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. I don't know. Listen, I don't. Paul, Paul, hallelujah, amen, Selah, or shoot that thing. What do you say when God says, I'll never let go. I'll never run out. I'll never fail you. We're in for the long haul. I got a hold of you. You'll have a hold of me. Wow. <laughs> wow. How amazing, incredible. Now listen, this is the gospel we got to share. The religious gospel doesn't work. This is the true gospel. We've got to share this. This is what people need to know. Because there's a lot of hurting people out in our community and they think they're beyond hope. God would never, ever love them. They've messed up too much. Some of them think that they've got something better than God's love. That's because they don't understand and not heard the truth, the truth about God's love. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So what shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? You really think your sin is greater than God's grace? You think Satan's? Satan is greater than God's grace? Do you think your performance is greater than God's grace? No. No, Paul says it's rhetorical. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. God is greater than it all. God is greater than it all. And watch this. This is good. He, he did not even spare his own son. Now, the, again, every commentary, every place I studied, this is Paul is definitely flashing back to Abraham. When, it, when God said, you're supposed to take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him. And Abraham knew that the bloodline would go through Isaac. And he didn't know how God was going to pull it off. But he was going to pull it off. And Abraham went up and laid his son on the altar, trusted God, and at the last minute God stops the knife, gives a ram for the sacrifice. Abraham did not withhold his son. God did not withhold his son. Oh, more than that. Come on now. God did not withhold his son. He sent his son Jesus Christ for the sole purpose of Him dying on that Roman cross and spilling His blood that depraved sinners like us could be forgiven of our sins. He didn't hold it back. He could have said, he could have said the price is too great, Kyle. He said, them, them folks, they're not worth that. We'll just kill them all and start over again. He didn't do that. 
He did not withhold His own Son. He sent Him instead to earth to die for our sins. Now watch this. He did not even spare withhold His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. For us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Now, now Paul is not talking about everything but we won't. You got to remember, what's the purpose? To be conformed to His Son. Paul is saying He will not withhold anything from us that will, not, that will help us be conformed to the image of His Son. His purpose for us is to be like Jesus. And He will give us all the tools we need to look like Jesus. Sometimes that includes blessings and sometimes it includes difficulties. But He loves us enough to give us both. He goes on and says this. In verse 33, Who... Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Who, who can walk in God's courtroom and God being the judge? What person's going to walk through the back doors, strut up to the judge's desk and say, I am here to accuse so-and-so? Who's going to strut up there when the judge has already declared me innocent and dropped all charges and not guilty. Ain't nobody. Oh, Satan may walk in, but his charges will be thrown out. My wife could walk in, and her charges would be thrown out. Your neighbor could walk in, but his charges would be thrown out. Because the judge, the judge is done said, all is dropped. I'm justified. I'm made right before God. Colossians 2.14 says this, Having canceled out the certificate of debt, that would be the charge sheet. The charge sheet, all of our sins, canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way and nailed it to His cross. Y'all got to rest in that. There's too many people in this room and listening on that radio who think every time you mess up, God's all mad at you. Now, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. I get all that. Don't think this is all sugar, honey, and God's my boyfriend. But God loves you unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. And either that word is true and that song we sing is true or it's not. I'll give you a hint. It is. It is. He loves us so. God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we'll pick up verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Who's the one who condemns? Who, it would take an innocent person to condemn. One who hasn't sinned would have to be the one who condemns. Anybody got any idea who that might be? It would be Jesus. So if anybody's going to condemn us, it's going to have to be the perfect one, Jesus. Well, Paul says that ain't going to happen because Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, He's been raised up. 
He also is at the right hand of the Father of God, the right hand of God, and intercedes for us. You won't find Jesus condemning. You'll find Jesus interceding. You'll, you'll see Him at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, praying for us. Come on, somebody say amen. Shoot that thing. I tell you what. I, this is what, listen, you didn't know, but this is what you signed up for. This is, this is the stuff you signed up for. This is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this story. I, in John chapter 8, I just love it. The old religious Pharisees go into a woman's house and drag her out, most likely half naked. She was in bed with a fella. Throws him down in front of Jesus and said, The law of Moses says that we're to stone this woman. What do you say? Jesus knelt down and started drawing in the dirt. They had the rocks in their hands. Finally, he said, You without sin cast the first stone. There was silence, and before long, Jesus looked up, and everybody was gone. The woman was there. He said, Woman, where are those people that accused you? And she said, Well, there isn't anyone, Lord. Then he said, Remember, he's the sinless one. If anybody could cast a rock, it would be Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. You will find the compassionate, loving heart of Jesus, but you won't find rocks in his hands. I know that's hard, and some of y'all are probably pushing back going, you're, you're, you're trying to theologically argue with me already going, yeah, but, no, really, study your Bible. Study your Bible. See, we've had a lot of good preachers who stood up and told us about, about how God wants to send lightning bolts and strike us when we sin. You pay your tithes or God will put you in the hospital and take your tithes out. And that flat tire you had on Monday, that was just God punishing you. Well, I believe it. We talked about the chastening of God. I get that. I understand that. But we have such a twisted, distorted picture of the love of God. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. So I want you to I want you to leave today. And if you have trusted Christ, if, if there's a point in your t- life, and, and this is so important, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it now because I've got about three minutes. Let me go ahead and say it now. It's really important you've been born again. All this stuff I've talked about is those who have been truly redeemed. We'll talk about that tonight if you'll come back. I'm not talking about religious. I'm not talking about being a good person. But if you've truly been born again, and let me go over it one more time. It's a recognition that we are sinners. All of us are. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. There's none who doeth good. No, not one. And we come to the conclusion that in our sinfulness that we're separated from holy God 
And that the payment for sin was death, Romans 6.23. And that death occurred on that cross where Jesus Christ shed his blood for our sins. And he, by the way, cried out, what did he say? It is finished. Say it again, it is finished. It was done. It was done. And I believe in that death and that sacrifice and that atonement by faith. And then I turn and follow Christ. For every truly born-again person, all that I said today is true. But it all hinges on, have you been born again? Have you truly trusted Christ as your Savior? I'm not trying to cause doubt. I'm just saying, you know, if you, you, know, you ever heard the old, remember the old American Express commercial? Membership has its privileges. Well, the blood has its privileges. But you've got to experience the blood. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, if that's true, you say, Dwayne, I know I am born again. Okay, cool. That's awesome. That's great. This is your, this is your legacy. This is what you have in Christ. In Christ. And we're going to talk about more tonight. More tonight. If you're here today, and you're not sure of that, I mean, you might be one of those folks, again, like me, I went to church for 21 years, like three times a week. I was very religious and very lost. Maybe something I just said rung a bell and you said, you know what? I, I don't see evidence. I, I, don't, I don't sense it. I don't feel it. And feelings aren't everything. But you don't. <coughs> or maybe you're here today and you go, someone offered buy my lunch. That's why I'm here. I'll do anything for free food. I went to church. I haven't been to church in 10 years. And you've heard this wonderful story. You're going, if that is true, I want that. If that is true, I want that. Well, it is true. And we have a time of decision at the end of our service. And our first, our first invitation, our first point of decision is if we can help you discover who Jesus is and apply what I talked about to your life so you can be born again, you can be forgiven, you can come in a relationship with God, that's the thing we'd love to see happen today. That's why Kim and Chris want to go to Spain. That's why Matt and Bethany are in Central Asia. That's why Tom is in Nicaragua and Barnicio is in East St. Louis. That's why. That's why. And we would love for you to experience God's amazing grace. Secondly, maybe you're here today and you just want to say thank you. Maybe during the invitation decision time, you just need to kind of not sing and just bow your head and say, God, thank you. I've not been living this because I didn't understand it. I want to thank you for the truth of your word and that your love holds me. Can I go ahead and give you something I'm going to say tonight so I'm going to save it. I'm going to give it to you. You know, we are held by his love, not our love for him. Can I say it again? We are held by his love, not our love for him. And that's what we do. We feel saved when we love him, which means we don't feel safe sometimes. No. You're held by His love. His love. It never fails, never gives up, and never runs out on me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing today. And Holy Spirit, I really need for you to just take what I said and put it all in the right order and implant it in the hearts of people. Direct it to the person who needs to know that you love them today and want them to be redeemed. 
Your word says you love the world so much that you sent your son. Now, whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for that. Speak that truth into a heart today and draw them to your son, Jesus. Father, for my friends here today, my brothers and sisters, who struggle with your love, they feel so unworthy of your love. There's too many regrets and too much brokenness. Too many disasters. Help them to just understand that your love is unconditional. And may that drive them to make some good choices about their lifestyle. To not continue on that path that leads to regrets and disasters. May your love change us in that way. And if we've somehow grown ungrateful for your love, cause us today to fall in love with the love of God again. A love that never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.